Well, welcome to The Exchange Live on this Tuesday night. Uh, I'm excited to be uh, with you guys tonight, even though we are, but we aren't. I guess we're all social distancing. Uh, just be honest with you, when I first found out about this whole social distancing thing, my introverted side was very happy about it. Uh, I was excited about staying at home, getting to work on stuff, getting stuff done, not having to be around as many people. Uh, but then the schools closed and our daycare closed and our two three-year-olds and our five-year-old came home. And all of a sudden social distancing wasn't so much fun. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I don't think social distancing works for us anyway because we have kids. And I think I've said this before, but kids are pretty much uh, disgusting disease carriers. Uh, just to give you an example, my wife was walking up to Publix the other day, and as she was walking up, my son decided to pick up a cigarette butt, put it to his mouth and say, hey, look, mom, I'm smoking. <laughs> she immediately knocked it out of his hand, but like I said, uh, I think I've seen my kids chew on their shoes this week. I've seen them lick the floor. So if it's possible for me to get it, it's gonna happen. Um, I hope none of you get it, and, I, and I'm not making light of this whole situation, but it is the place that we're in right now. And I'm hoping tonight that as we have the exchange with small groups afterwards and all that, while we do have some hope, I hope that also we have some moments of laughter just to kind of get out of this situation ourselves. Um, I know for those of you that are extroverts, you are absolutely dying right now. For those of you that are introverts, you're a little bit okay, but truthfully, we all know you need to get around people even more. So this week, we're actually gonna be in our second week of a series that we're in on control. Uh, if you remember last week, we started talking about the guy named Daniel. Uh, he was a guy who was, uh, his country was taken over, uh, he was kidnapped, uh, he was being forced to learn basically the occult or satanic pro uh, principles. Um, he was forced to work for a king that killed a lot of his people in his, in his world. And on top of that, he was actually castrated. Uh, he, was, he was made into a eunuch. And so in the midst of all of that, Daniel was able to, I don't know if you could say gain control or look to God and realize God was in control that entire time. In fact, we see him actually stand up for what he wanted to eat. Uh, all the stuff that they were being fed at that time had been sacrificed to idols. He goes, I can't eat that. So he stands up, he goes, hey, just feed us vegetables. And despite being fed just vegetables, they actually gain weight and God blesses their decision to do what he called them to do. Well, this week, it, 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 it changes a lot. I mean, last week, they're basically asking to eat vegetables. This week, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are gonna be doing a lot more. In fact, they're gonna be standing up to the king directly. In fact, we see it with this king. This king is very, very full of himself. He is very um, all about him. King Nebuchadnezzar is all about who he is and makes sure everyone knows him. So much so that he actually builds a 90-foot statue to himself. Some of the girls in here, you guys have dated guys that are full of themselves. King Nebuchadnezzar is on another level. Not only does he make a 90-foot statue to himself, but on top of that, on top of making that, he goes, all right, here's what's going to happen. The band is going to play, and the moment the band plays, everyone must bow down and worship my statue. So he makes a statue, and then he makes everyone bow down to it. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know they worship God. And so they're in a tough place. What do I do here? And you know, what, what is the, the problem if we don't worship 
that statue. Well, we see in Daniel 3, 6, this is what it says. It says, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Not that you will be chastised, not that, you know, you have to go sit in timeout. Um, you're going to be killed by being thrown in a blazing furnace. A furnace that is so incredibly hot, it was used to smelt the gold at that time. And so they've got a decision. Do I worship God or do I worship Nebuchadnezzar? Or do I do what maybe some other people are doing? I worship God alone, but then in front of everybody else, I worship King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, they decide. They decide they were going to stand up for what is right. And so the music plays, the instruments play. Everyone bows down. Thousands upon thousands of people. People, Some people even say almost close to the hundreds of thousands range. All of them bow down at once. It must have been an incredible sight to see. And then three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stand up. They stand up. And here's what's interesting. It's, it's their counterparts that tell on them. It's the other ones that work in the same place that tell on them. They go to the king and they say, hey, uh, king, I want you to know these three guys did not bow down. Now, what's interesting is the king's pissed off. The king's really mad. And I think he's really mad also because he doesn't want to lose these three guys. So we see in, in verse 15, it says this, says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? So the king gives him another chance. He goes, hey, I, I like you guys. I really do. I like you guys. Please, at this time, when the, when the band plays, you need to bow down. If you don't, I will have no choice, but I will throw you into the furnace. No matter what you do at this moment, I don't, I don't care how much we like each other before. I don't care what our relationship has been. You're going to be thrown into the furnace. So they have to make a decision. You see them reply in verse 16 to 18. It says this, it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. This is a bold thing to say to a, to a guy that just made a statue of himself. It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And here's, here's the interesting part, verse 18. But, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that you, we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. Notice what they said there. He, they said what our God is going to save us. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. Even if God doesn't save me, it doesn't matter. We will still not bow down before that. So what happened at that moment? Well, some of us may think, oh, that's when the king realized he was wrong and he loved him so much. No. What did the king do? He got incredibly angry. He'd just given them a second chance and they basically spat in his face. So he's so angry, he gets the furnace and he makes it seven times hotter, which is really kind of interesting because in its original state, it was more than hot enough to kill everybody, but he's so mad, he goes, well, make it seven times hotter. And then he takes two of the strongest men that he has, and they bind them up, and they throw them into the furnace. Here's what's crazy. It's so hot that the guys that throw them into the furnace die immediately. They die immediately. And then they look into the furnace, and what do they see? They see them there, but they don't just see them there. They see somebody with them. In verse 25, it says, Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Now the version says a son of God. 
We believe that it was Jesus walking around with them. I can't imagine his, his face when he saw this. He looks in there. There's four guys walking around. He expected them to die instantly. He expected it to be a teaching moment for everybody else there. But what happens? They live. So the king says, hey, guys, walk out of the furnace. They walk out. Not a hair is singed. None of that, that smell of burning hair that you, you have smelt before. It, none of that. They walk out. They're totally fine. But just three of them. So what happens? Daniel 3, verses 29 and 30. It says, therefore I make this, this decree. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. It says, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. He's still angry, apparently. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. See, incredible story, right? But here's the problem with the story. Most of the time we read that and what do we take away? We go, oh, if you really follow after God, if you just do what he says, he will rescue you from the fire. He'll rescue you like Daniel from the lion's den. Here's the problem. How many people do we know that worship God, that were thrown into a fire that lived? Three. In this story, that's who we know. So that can't be the moral of the story. The moral of the story can't just be if we follow God, everything's going to be good. Because think about it, when we look at their lives, yes, they were saved from the fire, but they were also still kidnapped from their nation. They were also made to worship uh, other gods. They were also made to study the occult, which is basically how to worship Satan. And on top of that, they were all castrated. They were taken away their ability even to have kids. So yeah, in the entire idea of the story, their life is still not that great. It's still not perfect. God didn't stop all those things, but in that moment, he did stop that. So what do we learn from this story? What do we get from this story? Because we need to understand where God is in the moments of our pain. We need to understand where God is in the moments where everything seems to be going wrong. The problem is in church, many times, all we do is we focus on the good stories. Right? We had the testimonies of the person that was addicted to drugs or the person that went away from God and then they came back and God used them to do amazing things. And don't get me wrong, those are great stories and those are important stories and we need to hear those stories. But we never focus on the stories where the people are still in the middle of it. We never focus on the stories where the person is absolutely following God, yet they still get cancer. We never focus on the stories where people seem to be doing what God called them to do, yet they still get a virus. And the problem is this, is because we tend to focus on all the good stories, we have this idea in our hearts that if, if we're really following God, nothing bad will ever happen to us. If we're really following God, then nothing will happen to us that's, that goes in the wrong way. And if something bad does happen to us, that just means we weren't really following God. Or that just means that our faith wasn't enough. If we don't see miracles on a regular basis, then we don't see God. The problem with that is this. Miracles were something that was special. Miracles were something that God did, not on every occasion. It was something that was very different. That's why it's called a miracle and not a Tuesday. So if, if we're not seeing miracles, then how do we know God's a part of what's going on in our lives right now? See, I know some of you right now are sitting there going, wait, this isn't the corona message I was expecting to hear. I wanted to hear something that you know basically said that if we truly believe in God, then he will basically keep us from this. 
But that's not what we see in the Bible. and That's not what we see God to be. See, here's the problem that happens. We tend to tie God to the good times in our lives. When things are going good, that means God's with us and God cares about us and God loves us. But when things are going bad, that means that God is not with us. God doesn't care about us and God doesn't love us. The truth is how our life is going, the situations in our life at this time are not tied at all to whether or not God is in our lives. In fact, God's goodness is not tied to whether or not he's with us. God's goodness is not tied to whether or not we can be in relationship with him. Just because we're going through something tough doesn't mean he doesn't care. You know, now that I'm in young adult ministry, I've been doing a lot more of premarital counseling. And it, it can be tough sometimes because, you know, when you're pre-married, you're so in love that a lot of the problems that you have, you kind of just gloss over. But one of the things that I always want to talk about with pre-marrieds and one of the things that we have to talk about is how do you fight? How do you fight? I want to talk about how you fight. Do you fight fair? Do you fight in a way that allows the other person to be heard? The problem is many times you have pre-marrieds that are going, well, we've never really fought. I'm going, well, then you probably not really told the truth. <laughs> or probably one of you thinks that you're so lucky to marry that other person, you don't bring it up. Because here, here's the, the misconception. We don't fight. That means we have a healthy relationship. That's not true at all. We know that, right? Just because we don't fight doesn't mean we have a healthy relationship. In fact, it's more of the idea is when we fight the right way, it shows that we have a healthy relationship. See, in the same way, just whether or not we have problems in our lives, whether or not we have trials in our lives, whether or not we have suffering is not evident of whether or not God's there. In fact, it's the way that we go through the suffering and we go through the trials is evident of whether or not we're next to God or we're near God. See, God's presence in our life is constant. We're the ones that move. See, we're the ones that move away. And so it's up to us to have that communication with him. It's one of the reasons we're going to start a, um, a time with God, a, a devotion time on the Bible app about prayer. You guys are going to hear more about that in your small group. We're going to host it later on. But what we're going to do is this, is we're going to start a devotional. All the exchange is going to be doing it on prayer. It's going to be seven days on how to pray. And what we're going to do every day is we're going to have one of our leaders talk about what it means to them in that moment. So you can follow along with us. You can start that devotion with us tomorrow, Wednesday on prayer. But the reason we need to pray is we need to be in communication with God. We need to be talking to him. We need to be near him so that when things go bad, we can understand them more. Because when anxiety rules our life, do we make good decisions? Absolutely not. When we allow worry and anxiety to take over our lives, we don't make good decisions at all. In fact, even in the way that we go to the store, my wife sent me to the store last week, and I don't know if it was in my anxiety combined with the fact that I thought I just had to get food that could last forever. I bought the worst stuff. I came back home and my wife was just, she couldn't believe what I brought home. I brought home two big boxes of Pop-Tarts. I brought home one of the big bags of Lucky Charms. I brought home a ton of ramen or ramen, whatever you want to call it. And on top of that, a two and a half pound bag of the Starburst Jelly Beans, which are amazing. And then I also threw in some Easter candy there. Some of you are actually looking at the screen right now going, man, I guess the camera does add 10 pounds. No, it's the fact that I ate all of that in five days. I've actually gained about 10 pounds in that time. Why? Because I went to the store with the wrong intention. 
I actually thought in my head, hey, this is the perfect time to get my diet on track. This is the perfect time to start working out and doing all of these things. But did I make a list before I go to the store? No, I didn't. I just walked in the store and allowed my feelings to buy what I wanted to. Here's the problem. In the same way, if we're not in communication with God, if we don't already understand who he is and decided who he is to us, when we go into problems, when we go into tough seasons, we allow our emotions to define who God is. And many times, here's what we do. We tend to bend God around what we want him to be and who we want him to be in that situation, not who he actually is. And so we expect God to be a certain way, or we also believe that God is not who we say he is in those moments. See, we tend to bend God around those things. See, if you are suffering right now, many times what we'll do is we'll decide who God is in that moment. And many times it's not accurate because we don't have an understanding of who God is. In fact, most of our understanding of God tends to be around sayings that aren't even true. You've heard this one, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true at all. In fact, here's what's so crazy. That entire idea goes against the idea of the gospel. I mean, the entire idea of the gospel was you can't handle it yourself anyway, so God had to step in. We couldn't handle our own sin decisions, so God had to send Jesus. So this idea that we could do it on our own or that God won't give us more than we can handle isn't true at all. In fact, then what happens when we do have more than we can handle? We assume God's not in the picture. See, Jesus had to step in just to help us out in the first place. Here's another one. The best is yet to come. Now, this is true and untrue. This is true, but it's untrue many times in the way we expect it. See, a lot of us, this prosperity gospel has got into our hearts that makes us believe that what God wants for us is to be healthy and wealthy and nothing bad to ever happen to us. So when we hear the words, the best is yet to come, we assume that means that God wants to make us more successful. God wants to give us more money. God wants to make us healthier. That's not true. The best is yet to come actually means this, means that God's will is going to be taking a step forward. And then the best thing about it is this, is that even though I'm going through the trials, the best thing is this, I get to become more and more like Jesus. You see, when we have the wrong idea of who God is, we assume the wrong thing about who he's going to be in the tough times. I've got two verses I wanna give you guys right here that helps us understand this. John 16, 33 is the first one. It says this, says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. This is Jesus speaking. He goes, you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What does Jesus say there? He goes, you will have trials. He doesn't say, if you follow God, you won't have trials. Or if you're a really good Christian, you will never have any issues. He goes, nope, you will have trials and sorrows. He had them himself, but we know what? God has overcome the world. Then Romans 8, 28 says this, says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What is God saying in it? He goes, if you love me, if you stay next to me, even when you go through the toughest times, I will turn them into something good. I will make you more like my son. I will make you something better. I will remind you and help you remember that I can make something good about it. See, Jesus says, because of what I've done, you're still going to have trials, but you're going to remember that God has overcome it. See, this is the reason why we celebrate with communion or what you would call the Lord's Supper. It's the reason we have the, the cracker and the juice. It's not that, you know, everybody's low on energy or we're like, hey, you know what? It's time for a juice break. 
The reason we do that is to remind ourselves of the body that was broken for us, for the blood that was spilled out for us that covers up our sins. It's to remind us of what God has already done. See, the hope that we can always go back to is the fact that God's already done this much for us. He's already saved us. We get to spend eternity with him. And in this moment on this earth, we get to walk with him every single day. See, God didn't promise the perfect situation. He just promised that he would use every situation. God didn't promise that everything would be perfect, but he did promise in the end it will be. See, this is so important for us to understand. God didn't promise that we wouldn't go through suffering. He just promised that he would walk with us the entire time. See, I think when we look back in the story of the statue, I think right now the statue that everybody's worshiping is worry and anxiety. I think we're absolutely worshiping that statue. It's almost like if you're not worshiping it, people look at you the wrong way. Here's the problem. When we worship worry, it infects our hearts. It steals our hope. It takes away our joy. And the only way we can combat that is to allow God to remind us of who he is, to remind us of what our situation is. And so here's here's a point I want you guys to get. If we want hope, we must allow God to make sense of our situations instead of allowing our situations to make sense of God. See, if we want hope, we must allow God to make sense of our situation, not allow our situation to make sense of God. We must allow God to show us what's really happening, not allow our situation to make us change our idea of who God is. God has been, God always will be. God already loved us enough to send us his son, and he promises to walk through this this with us every single day. So as Christians, as we gain that hope, what should we do? Well, Pastor Craig talked about it this past weekend. As a church, the things that we should be doing, we should be loving people, we should care for people, and we should pray for people. And let me just add this to it. As Christians, we should also allow other Christians to do the same for us. See, right now in this time, our hope is gonna be evident based on our relationship with Christ. And then as we gain that hope, we have the ability to share it with others. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the opportunities we have just to even meet online. God, I thank you for the fact that you've already conquered the world, that no matter what's going on in front of us, you are bigger. God, I pray this week that we will look to you to define our situation. We will look to you to define what's going on in our lives. God, I pray that you would give us the hope and the peace and the joy that only you can give at this time. God, we thank you that you're already gonna do that. We thank you that we get to spend time with you this week. We thank you for all those things and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, a couple announcements real quick for you. First one is this. We're gonna be doing Instagram Live on Friday night. It's gonna be an Ask Us Anything. Chrissy and I are gonna set up in front of the camera. Um, We're gonna answer your questions. We're actually gonna do a question ahead of time on social media that you can throw in those questions. And we're just gonna answer them. We're gonna see how it goes. Um, We've had people before say, hey, we'd love to know about this situation in your life or the way that you guys dated or what's going on here, all those things. So uh, it's not gonna be a total ask us anything because there definitely will be some questions we wouldn't answer, but we we do wanna answer your questions. That's gonna be going on this Friday night and every Friday night we're gonna have a different type of Friday night live where we do some different things. I think one night we're gonna be doing some trivia. So this week is gonna be an ask us anything. Second thing is the devotion that I talked about. 
It's on the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, literally you go to your app store, look up Bible. It's the Bible app. And it's called this A Seven Day Guide to Prayer. Uh, we're going to be posting the link to that later. If you're going to be in a small group, they're going to be talking about that also. We'd love for you to join us in that this week. The last thing is this. We're going to be having small groups afterwards. And let me just say this. It's going to be tough this first time, figuring all that out with Google Hangouts and Zoom and all of that. Um, if you haven't heard from your small group leader yet, or you don't have a small group, here's what you can do. You can text groups plus your name to 813-345-2594. That's 813-345-2594. Give us your name, text text groups and your name, and we promise we will get you set up with a group. So excited you guys joined us tonight. I'm hoping for all of you to join a small group tonight just so that we can have some conversation, talk about what's really going on, and really start a prayer, not just amongst yourselves, but your entire group for what's happening right now in the world. Love you guys. See you guys next week.